My name is Jacob Stoops. And I'm Jeff Luella. And you're listening to the Page Two Podcast. This is our podcast about the people of the SEO industry. We chronicle the real life stories, experiences, challenges, and advice from some of the most amazing people in the business. Today, we talk to Patrick Stocks, product advisor at Ahrefs, former technical SEO at IBM and co-moderator of the Tech SEO subreddit, which is one of the best SEO subreddits going right now, and organizer of several SEO meetups in Raleigh, North Carolina. Another Raleigh SEO. Imagine that. Uh, We talk about how the downturn in the economy caused by the 2008 financial bubble led him to a career as a developer, which eventually led him to SEO. We discuss his time at IBM, what he's currently up to at Ahrefs, or I guess I should say Ahrefs, the importance of practical experience rather than simply having a degree, the announcement that speakable structured data is no longer restricted to news content, and so much more. So get your popcorn ready as we tell Patrick's SEO story and have another great roundtable discussion. Hey, everybody. Uh, It is Jacob Stoops, and we are back again with another episode of the Page Two podcast, and I am here with Mr. Jeff Luella. Hello, everybody. Look how good we did that this time. Yes, we didn't stumble or anything. And we are also here with, dun-dun-dun, he's not missing anymore from Tech SEO Boost, it's Mr. Patrick Stocks. How's it going? It is going well. It is, it is... Going well, um, and uh, we were talking uh, a little bit before this, and uh, I, I've heard that uh, you might have uh, just come from, was it a vacation in Colombia, or just like business in Colombia? Yeah, vacation slash family visit. Uh, my oh, wife yeah. is from Colombia, so oh, yeah. we were visiting some family back home. Cool, cool. No, that's, that's awesome. Well, we definitely uh, appreciate you. Uh, joining us, and we're um, yeah very very happy to to have have you on, and uh, hopefully tap what everybody in the industry seems to uh, call your your beautiful mind <laughs> your beautiful mind. Um, I think Jr. Oaks actually maybe uh, in in one of his because he's been on two episodes now uh, might have referred to you as maybe a robot. So I'm just here to <laughs> are you a robot? Are you not a robot? Yeah. I don't think I'm a robot. What's the test for that? I, I, pass the robot. I don't know. Well, we learned Jamie was not a robot. <laughs> yes, that's uh, funny. Yeah, we actually did just talk about that. Um, and and I think Jarus thinks he is a robot. That's his uh, Twitter handle, uh, Internet Robot. So. <laughs> An Internet Robot. Yeah. <laughs> cool. So, Patrick, you've got a lot going on career-wise lately, but I want to go back to the beginning. Um, As I've said many, many times, and I'm going to repeat for everybody who maybe is listening to this uh, for the first time, the hallmark of this show is not just straight knowledge dumping. Uh, Like I've said, that comes out just through great conversation, and this, this show is kind of like what it's like to be if you were listening as a fly on the wall to SEOs talk to each other, it's, it's more focused on that. It's focused on backgrounds and origin stories. Since you can't go to traditional college to be an SEO, everybody just kind of somehow falls into it. Um, so I'm interested, Patrick, in how you fell into it. 
I feel like I'm a superhero now. I get an origin story. <laughs> yeah. It all started when you were five. Oh, God. You got bit by a radioactive <laughs> spider, and then you became an SEO. <laughs> <laughs> that would Google be a better spider. story. The Google spider, yes. <laughs> I don't think that was around when I was five. <laughs> a little bit older than most people realize. Um, oh, God. I don't even know where to start. Uh I guess I went to college originally to be a developer, but that didn't work out. Uh, I ended up with economics and business degrees. Uh, I had a passion for development, though. I was building websites, actually, when I was in college. I have uh, the tenniswiki.com. It's like the largest database of tennis rackets because uh, I was a big tennis fan. Nice. Uh, that is still live. It is terrible. Don't go there. Uh, but it still gets <laughs> thousands of visits a month. So, hey, uh, and I haven't worked on it in like 10 years. <laughs> um, Made up going there. <laughs> yeah, that, that's, uh, I think, Tiki Wiki and uh, Smarty Templates, which were the absolute worst. PHP I'm not going to say anything. Ever. I'm not going to say anything. Looks uh, <laughs> <laughs> I think I built that in like 2006 or seven, maybe. Okay. So it's been a while ago. Um, I built sites all through college, among many other jobs, working at restaurants, selling cars, stringing tennis rackets. Again, big tennis fan. Uh, out of college, my first job I was hired for, my first big boy job was a developer. <laughs> so I ended up doing it anyway. I didn't have the degree, but I had practical experience. I built a few dozen websites by that point. A lot for myself, some for businesses. Um, that was fun. Uh, and then one day the company I was working with asked me to look into this SEO thing. <laughs> How do we rank better? And I think I fell in love and that was it. Made the switch. So how did you get to, you've been at a couple of places. Um, most recently you were at IBM. How did you get there? Uh, see, I should have gone backwards, uh, I guess. So after, after I fell in love with SEO, uh, I ended up going out on my own to do SEO. Uh, the company that I originally worked in-house for uh, as a developer, they hired me. Uh, a couple other companies hired me, uh, like a magnetic, high-end magnetic engineering company, a uh, company that did a line of like German test equipment and few others. Then I ended up uh, moving to Raleigh, North Carolina, where I am now. I started doing audits for a bunch of local agencies here. Uh, eventually went in-house with one of those uh, companies, and I started writing for Search Engine Land about a year after that. I think that was like 2015, maybe? Uh, about six months later, uh, the lady that ran SEO at IBM at the time decided to come to one of our meetups. She read something I wrote on Search Engine Land. She liked it. She's like, you want to come work for me? And I was like, no, don't want to <laughs> work for a big company. Uh, but about, I think, eight months later or so, ended up there anyway. Yeah. What, what, uh, what changed? Uh I realized looking into it, well, one, she was persistent, which was great. Uh, but then just looking at the site, I realized I didn't know as much as I thought. Uh, 
you know, I'd never seen a site that had multiple infrastructures, so many different systems, so much stuff wrong. And I was like, that looks interesting. Now I'm going to go do that. You're going to go tackle problems. I feel like as SEOs, we, we are really good at tearing things apart and then putting them back together. It's almost like we're, uh, we're almost like mechanics except for a website. I, I, yeah. I found that every good SEO is really good at just ripping a website apart. Honestly, I don't yeah. know how you guys feel about that. That's kind of how I moved into SEO. <laughs> I was, I was doing web development also. And um, I had the, the gentleman who was running the SEO team come over and, and try to get me over in the SEO team. And basically he's like, you just need to rip apart websites and tell them what they can be doing better. And I was like, do I have to do keyword research and write title tags? And he was like, no. And I was like, okay, we'll have a deal. <laughs> and it's, uh, you know, I've been on that side ever since and I've kind of still have a hatred towards writing title tags, but at the same, I, I not that I don't understand how important they are, but it's one of those where um, it was interesting, kind of moved over that way too. But there was, they were persistent and um, that whole mechanic idea is definitely I feel that way. Like I'm getting under the hood, looking at code, trying to get things to, to rank better. So it's awesome. What are you talking about, Jeff? You write the best title tags. I, I try. <laughs> I, now I use a uh, machine learning to write all my title tags for me. So it would be you to program a machine <laughs> for you. No, that would be JR. And I just steal his code. You can <laughs> for free. Search engine. We all steal his code. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't do all the hard work. I'll be drinking while he that's right. Oh my goodness. So you're not at IBM any longer, Patrick. Uh, for those of you that don't know, tell us where you are now. I joined HREFs. I am now a product advisor, technical SEO, and brand ambassador. So that's a new is, one. What does all of that mean? It means I get to help build cool new things to make people's lives easier. Uh, I get to troubleshoot a lot of stuff. I get to see massive amounts of data. Uh, hopefully have some cool data studies out for y'all soon. And in general, awesome. I get to do what I do. I'll be, I'm already like updating some of the old blog articles. You'll see some new stuff on Ahrefs blog from me. Uh, and just in general, going to conferences and speaking, sharing information, but as Ahrefs. So that's awesome. They're based in um, Singapore, I believe, right? Yep. So how does that how does that work for you? Is it like do you have to work odd hours because of that, or are you kind of going back and forth with their off to their office? Like, how is that kind of that part of the relationship working for you? Yeah, in general, I have normal hours. I will say that I do have uh, sometimes where I'm on nine, ten, eleven, just so I can talk and wrap things up, explain it a little better in person. Uh, I have not been to the office yet. I really am looking forward to that. I will be going pretty soon. I've heard, uh, that, uh, I've heard that there's like a famous wall in the office that people take a picture. By. Yeah, I want a picture there too. Yeah, I would love to, <laughs> I'd love to go there someday. Um, yeah, so the other funny thing that we were debating off, um, uh, off offline before we jumped on and started recording is uh, – the, the, the naming conventions and we were just talking about different um, different tools and we were talking about 
Ahrefs and SEMrush, and you notice I just said it Ahrefs, Patrick said it Ahrefs, and then uh, I can't, I think it might have been Jeff that said SEMrush, and then it's SEMrush. So, like, what is it with tools in our industry and having these names that people say so many different different ways, and which is the right way? Yeah, let's not forget Moz and Moe's. Yeah, yeah Moe's, <laughs> uh, which if you watch the the Office, cousin Moe's, yeah, right. Anybody, yeah. anybody know that reference? One of the funniest characters. <laughs> oh, sorry. <laughs> okay, sorry. People that watch the Office I, are definitely going to know who cousin Moe's is. I, I just know Moe's Mexican Grill. So. Mm. <laughs> um, I think a lot of it's region dependent. I know Sim Rush. I think they officially recognize like. Uh, I think for the most part, the U.S. calls it SEM Rush, and other people call it SEM Rush. Yeah. Uh, Hrefs, as far as I know, is just Hrefs. Uh, but really? a lot of people in the U.S. will say Ahrefs. Oh Not sure if that's really used abroad as much. I <laughs> don't know what you're talking about anyway. But there, I mean, it's it's okay. So my wife is a language specialist, and so I know a few. Uh, interesting things related to how people pronounce. Do you know that, for instance, we all say SEO, uh, but for instance, in Spanish, uh, how they pronounce it typically is SEO. That mm. makes that makes sense. That's how. I mean, I guess it's how you sound it out, but yeah. that's probably how you would teach a kid to read it. I've uh, I've looked at it as you know SEM. Like I don't call like hey, I work in SEM. I say it's like SEM, so that's why I do it that way. And well, I guess with the Ahrefs, there is an A in front of it. <laughs> and, and I guess obviously, now the Ahrefs obviously comes from H an HTML link. SEM yeah. comes from search engine marketing, which is why we tend to say it like that because yep. we use the first letters as an abbreviation. And maybe other people, and maybe they don't think about it like that. But yeah, that's at least how I think about it. I always just try and say things how the people that work there say it. So no, agreed. Yeah. Totally yeah. agree. So I'm gonna call. I'll call up SCM Rush and say like, "How do you say your company's name?" That's well, the one. I, the person I talk to most there is Olga, and she always says "Sim Rush." So yeah. I actually used to say SCM Rush, and now I consciously try. Sim Rush is quicker. <laughs> so within Hrefs, which is so weird for me to say it like that. Um, is there anything that you can can share in terms of what things might be coming down the pipeline or is that kind of sensitive? Uh, I don't know what I'm allowed to share and what I'm not. <laughs> so don't get me in trouble. Um, <laughs> I'm not going to share anything that's coming. There's a lot right. of stuff coming. There's so much coming. Every, honestly, we, the company moves so fast. It's kind of ridiculous how much they do with uh, with the people that they have. Um, I will say that we just launched a new thing that's interesting. Uh, it's a basically a link index, but not the traditional one. It's more for uh, more for site audit. So, like all your internal links, all your links out and stuff, all that is now being stored, and you can filter. It's it's currently in beta, but I think it's in people's dashboard people's dashboards now. Yeah. Uh, but it has some interesting use cases. Uh, we may hopefully end up doing some visualizations using that data. Uh, but just, uh, I, I think we had some big gaps in the tool. For instance, we didn't have anything that said, here are here's a report with broken links on your site. That did not exist until now. Yeah. 
Actually, that report is still being built, so it's not there yet, but it will be inside audit soon. There we go. There's, <laughs> um, All site audit dashboards are being redone currently. That's awesome. Cool. Yeah, so I, um, I was not always on board with that tool, and I've got a, like, I've got a very funny anecdotal story, and it's a, it's a, honestly, it's a great example of marketing and um, changing uh, a, a, a customer's mind. Um, so a couple of years ago on my personal website and not a couple, probably like four to five years ago on my personal website, I had written a post around best SEO tools. And, uh, at that point in time or shortly before that point in time, I had been in Ahrefs and at that point in time, it was primarily a link analysis tool and it wasn't a lot more. And what I had not realized when I wrote the article is how much further it had come along. So um, I kind of likened it to a link analysis tool and not much more in my description uh, within the article. Um, and it, based on my previous assumption, I wasn't wrong, um, but Tim uh, Sulo came, came along and he said, hey, uh, Jake, I, I, I think you'll, if you uh, get into the system and see what it is now, I think you'll think a little bit better of it. Would you uh, be willing to uh, amend your description if I give you a free trial and you get in and you, and you like the tool? So he did, and I signed in and started poking around, and it had come so far. Um, and plus, like the with Tim obviously being so big and so visible within the company, um, to, to know that somebody like him took the time to reach out to somebody like me. Um, and I'm sure that he does that often. Um, it w was, uh, honestly, it was pretty cool. And uh, so I got in, I poked around, and I honestly, I, f I fell in love with the tool because it was so awesome and so unlike anything that existed in the industry at that time. And it's still head and shoulders um, in my opinion, above a lot of other tools in terms of its all-around capability. It went from being a very niche tool to an enterprise-level um, an enterprise level tool in the span of a couple of years. And um, what even makes it more interesting is I was reading um, uh, last year uh, Rand Fishkin's book, Lost and Founder. And in that, he, he talked about... Um, Moz's evolution and where they were from an industry reputation standpoint and how they've kind of been passed up by the likes of SEMrush, SEMrush, or, and Ahrefs um, in terms of product development and so on and so forth. And it's been interesting to have my hands in all of those tools over the last couple of years and to kind of see that occurring. And I think, um, I'm just a huge, I'm now a huge, huge proponent of the work Ahrefs is, is doing. So excited to see you, um, to see you join their, their team. And I can only imagine that that's going to mean more good things. Yeah, I hope so. Uh, I mean, I'm, I've been a fan for years and I saw the progress too. I think I started using them in 2013 and then suddenly I think it was 2015, maybe keywords came out of nowhere and it was good. Like day one, uh, it was, it was really amazing. Uh, the site auditor is is really solid right now. I will say it has a few gaps, but we'll get it there shortly. Yeah. Um, one one thing I would love to see, and I know that there's like there's a place where you can send feature requests. So like, please don't take this as a feature request. 
Um, one thing that, that I utilize the tool for a lot is to see how pages rankings are trending both up and down or sites rankings overall are trending both up and down. And there is a top pages report within the tool that I find incredibly valuable. The only thing I don't find valuable about it is it's always a snapshot in time. And I know you guys have the data that shows page by page when you look at it, how things are trending. But within that top pages report, there's no trending data. And it would be really awesome. Um, and I feel like I've talked about this with a couple of people now to see which pages are trending up and down from a growth uh, standpoint, because there have been a few situations that I've had with clients this year where they implemented recommendations and they created these new pages and immediately the pages started surging up in, into from non-existence into being like the, the fifth most traffic page to the second most traffic page. And that's, those are the types of stories that I want to use uh, that data to, to tell, um, you know, to tell my clients to turn around and say, hey, remember this page I recommended that you created? Uh, well, you did and it grew and now it's your second uh, biggest traffic driver. So pat on my back. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's a, that's a big request from a lot of people. Yeah. Uh, I will say that it is coming. Um, yes. it is, <laughs> it is a lot of data. Uh, basically everything ever has been stored, but getting that to, uh, to be able to do a comparison, to be able to pull that up, to be able to pull that up quickly because people expect the tool to be fast is a difficult challenge. Um, mm -hmm. There are a lot of people that want that though, uh, including me. Uh, so it will happen. The question will be when based on priorities, of course. Sure. Of course. That's awesome. Yeah, there's, there's a lot of things like that that are, you know, in the works or waiting for something else to be built before it can be launched live. I think in general, they, they had a really good idea where they wanted to go with the tool. Uh, it's just, it's still a small team compared to a lot of the other tool companies. Uh, so yeah. things move fast, extremely fast, but there are, you know, there, there are always going to be resource constraints. Well, and I... I think that that's interesting because I think that ability to be nimble with respect to product development has been what has allowed them to move faster and to surpass um, other, other companies in the industry that maybe had a little bit more red tape or were um, didn't have the infrastructure in place to allow them to be nimble like a startup would be able to, to be in and HREFs is no longer a startup. And now I think the interesting thing is, can you guys maintain um, the nimbleness of a startup when your, your, your head count and your infrastructure and, and everything going on starts to move into the realm of you're not a startup anymore and you've got mm -hmm. all of these other challenges to, to worry about and the infrastructure to set up and, um, I think that's the challenge with a lot of businesses who end up moving out of startup phase when in reality, their ability to be quick and flexible in the beginning is a huge advantage. So, yeah. yeah, I hope that won't change here. I don't think it will. The culture is basically move fast, launch stuff early, uh, and then work on it and make it better. 
Yeah. In fact, the priority is always own current tools over new tools, uh, trying to make our current, you know, what, what people already access and have access to uh, the best that they can be before we actually build something new. That's cool. How does it, um, what are, I guess, thinking about the comparison, right? Coming from someone like IBM, who has like 350,000 employees or something crazy like that, to someone like HREF, which I'm thinking is under 50 employees. And what were some of the bigger like culture differences between, you know, once you go from a giant company down back down to a small company? Uh, I don't know that it's really a lot of difference. Uh, Dimitri, when I talked with him uh, before I was hired, had concerns about that too. He thought at IBM, like, you know, uh, it's a big company. It's got a lot of employees. Things get done instantly. I think a lot of the rest of us think the opposite. It's a big company. Things are a nightmare and nothing ever gets done. Right. Uh, there's some truth in both, I would say. You know, uh, it depended on the team. It depended on resources. It depended on priorities. Uh, everyone is constrained always at any scale. Uh, you can't do everything that you want. You can't do everything as want, you want as fast as you want. Um, you know, I think I still had some stuff in my backlog nearly four years later that IBM had not done. Other times, uh, hop on a call and within five minutes, things are done. So it, it really just depends. And it's kind of the same uh, at HREFs. There, there are things that I know are a higher priority than some of the things that I want uh, to do there. I know we have a lot of, <laughs> there, there's so many competing um stakeholders i guess just just like a major company mm -hmm. uh there's the users which you uh i think it's hrefs.canny.io uh is the one for public feedback that does go into the roadmap there's also internally uh we can sponsor uh sort of a project and initiative so i the one you mentioned for the historical data jacob that's actually sponsored by tim uh, that's why I know cool. it'll probably get done. And there's a few others that are on board with that, including myself. So hopefully, yeah. uh, but it's, you know, it's trying to prioritize what we're going to do, what we're going to improve the, the whole, um, I don't know, like the, the front ends being updated, the back ends being updated, the payment systems changing, like there's, there's a million things. The API is being worked on. All right. Yes. Yeah. That's one, that's one reason. Pretty much everything you want is probably in some stage of completion or, yeah. or may even be completed and just not rolled out yet or waiting on something else. Yeah. I think it's one thing I use with, because I use a lot of Google Sheets and I use a tool called Supermetrics. Yep. Um, just, it helps me hit APIs quicker. Um, even if it's not an API built into it, like you can use their custom API builder and build an API. Um, but they do have SEMrush um, API things built in there, and, and it really does help if I need to spit out a whole bunch of keywords and, and pull stuff or make reports from it. And as the one thing with Ahrefs that I, I would could switch over, and it would be like great for that because I, I even though I, I am an, a SEMrush user and have for a long time, and as um, users were talking about, and, and using I've used Ahrefs for a long time too. Um, I, where I actually grew up, SEMrush's U.S. office was five minutes away from my house. 
Um, being friends with Sean Malseed, he showed me a bunch of little tricks of the trade of how to use the SEMrush or SEMrush APIs and things like that. So um, being able to pull that into Google Sheets and make tools built into that um, kind of kept me over on that realm. But I actually did a little test internally here where I took 10 or 15 of our clients, took their true analytics numbers, then I put it into SEMrush and Ahrefs and kind of pulled all my, like, you know, all, all the numbers I can get from there. And I will say Ahrefs was way closer than SEMrush in a lot of that data. Um, still not perfect, but again, you don't have the real data, so everything is an estimate at that point. Um, SEMrush was 20% higher in everything that I was doing. So it would like their estimated traffic was saying, you know, it was 20% higher than I actually was. Um, the amount of, you know, traffic coming from search engines. So um, things like that. So Ahrefs was definitely closer. They might have been 5% to 10% off, while SEMrush was about 20% off. And that was just like a quick, here's 15 page, like I had data that I had that I could do, and um, which made me start looking and questioning SEMrush's data a lot more. <laughs> um, I would think we would be the closest for anything like that because every keyword actually has an individual model built for it uh, based on... The, uh, oh, what do you call that type of data? I don't want to say this provider. Uh, <laughs> providers, I should say. Um, the actual user data mm -hmm. uh, that we are getting. Uh, so every, everyone is individually modeled. And actually, uh, I think this is a big thing that people haven't realized yet, but before the keyword lists and the estimated traffic and stuff when you're doing research, uh, was based on like top 10 keywords. That's now an unlimited number. So if you have a keyword list of 10,000 keywords, mm -hmm. uh, you can actually get like traffic share by page and by domain and it's all individually modeled. So it's a huge roll up like search share of voice uh, now that functions as it should have. That's great. So Patrick, one of the, one of the things you mentioned is um, you did not have a degree, but you got a job anyways, uh, in terms of being a developer. I, I also come from a similar, um, a similar background where like college for me just got me a lot of debt, but not a lot else. And I fell into my SEO career and was pretty much, um, in my, in my career and doing this full time before I eventually went back and finished out my degree, which at the point that I did it was a bit of a formality. So um, can you talk a little bit about what that was like for you and maybe some advice you would give to other folks in terms of practical experience versus the the whole collegiate experience? <laughs> I would say it's just when you're young, you don't really know what you're going to do. Uh, I was pretty set on being a developer. Uh, the college I went to did not have a good development program. I thought it was really slow and I could learn more on my own. So I did. Um, and then I thought I was going to work in finance with an economics degree, but we know what happened, what, about 12 years ago now. Uh, so that did not work out. I thought I was going to work for Goldman Sachs, go work on Wall Street. Um, just ended up, you know, it was hard to get a job at that time period in general. Uh, so I took the first thing that I could that I thought I could do, which happened to be a developer position because people always need developers. And, and did the companies that you were working for at the time, like, did they care that you didn't have a degree? 
Did it matter? No. Uh, the, I think they gave me a test. It was like they had an issue with their contact form and I just took a quick look while during the interview and just fixed the issue. And they're like, you're hired. You start Monday. <laughs> and with, and for somebody like thinking about either getting into SEO or getting into development or something like that today. And I, and I know that in some fields, collegiate education is incredibly important. Like my wife's a teacher. You can't get into teaching. There's a massive barrier to entry. It's all about your degree, degree. certification. Um, and other industries are like that. But with respect to our industry and to um, basically online, um, do you feel like that situation has, has improved in terms of the quality of education? Do you feel like if you're hiring somebody, you still value that? You, uh, you value that more today than maybe it was valued 10 years ago, or would you still recommend that folks have practical experience and, and do you value that more? I personally value practical experience and what you bring to the table more. Uh, there were a couple of folks on my team at IBM actually that were 100% sure they'd never be hired by IBM because they didn't have a college degree. Uh, both of them had like 10 years of industry experience. Uh, which was, you know, incredibly valuable. They had been around a while. They'd seen a lot. They had done a lot. Uh, there was no way that that was going to be a no. Uh, I think a college degree is also valuable. Um, I wish there were more classes towards digital. Actually, I did a thing for uh, the Department of Labor. Um, they have a system called ONET, and I kind of define what we do. Uh, and ONET, I think, goes towards building the college classes. So maybe we'll actually see some more digital marketing type classes towards that skill set soon. I would, I would love that because, like, in my experience, one, it's a massive, massive gaping hole uh, with respect to how things in traditional education are handled as well as the way things are going in, in our industry. There's a big, a big gap. And um, I, I guess in, in business, anytime you see a massive gap in the market, that's a business opportunity. So it seems like somebody should go into business and do this. I would love to, to do that. It seems like there's a lot of, a lot of money to be made by creating curriculum around, um, around SEO. So it is yeah. nice to know that somebody is uh, not just SEO, but digital marketing in general. It is nice to know that there is progress being being made there because uh, you know nothing against the 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 new folks coming out of college um, in terms of the the folks and I'm talking about marketing majors that are that that I've seen over the years get hired, um, but they just when you hire a marketing major coming out of college and you go and you say to them, all right, go to paid search, uh, go to SEO. Um, go to social media, they are in no way prepared. No way prepared in the way that if you were to go to college to be a dentist, you come out and you're a dentist. You're ready to go to work and you're ready to work on people's teeth. You come out as a doctor, um, you're a doctor and you're ready to work. Um, when you come out as a marketing major, it's almost like you have to go through almost another baptism by, by fire to learn how to actually exist in the actual field of marketing. It's almost like you have to relearn everything all over again when you come out. And that's, that's really unfortunate for those people that um, you spend a lot of time and a lot of money doing that. 
I think that's the case with a lot of industries though, not, not just specifically SEO. Uh, but I would say the folks that did come through with marketing have somewhat of a leg up uh, in general and that they potentially look more holistically at things than, mm-hmm. than someone who just did SEO and has been an SEO. Uh, you know, I think people like that tend to go into other areas is generally like, how can I help people? You know, how can I market them better? How can I help users convert better? How can I think beyond my title tags a little bit? Right. That is true. That is true. That's a fair point. And I do think in the SEO industry, we have so many people who are trying to educate to begin with. Right. So you have tons of communities out there, like traffic think tank, you have a lot of, um, just every major site or SEO tool has like a training section, right? Because SEOs want to rank for that. <laughs> uh, but you know, you have Moz's like 101. I think Brian Dean has one. You see a lot of um, Bruce Clay does trainings and, and things like that. So you, you see a lot of the big names out there. Uh, I just typed in SEO training and it's everything you expect it to be. I mean, there's Udemy. I think that's how you say it. Um, uh, but then you have Search Engine Journal, you have HubSpot, you have Moz, you have uh, Lynda.com, you have Yoast. They're all like the top like SEO training sites out there. There's tons that are paid, but there's also a bunch of free stuff out there too. So, I mean, SEOs like to make money. So that's one of the things where I, I could definitely see the, the paid training sessions. Um, I remember Nick Eubanks before all his traffic think tank came out with like a 10 day email, like he sent 10 emails out. Uh, one a day, all about keyword training, um, which which was an interesting idea. And I think a lot of people do that type of stuff where it's like, let's focus on one thing and you can train from there. Uh, and I think the SEO industry does like to help train up the younger folks. Um, maybe it's just for rankings or ego, but it's not necessarily like it's out there and there's plenty of training on it. Um, I think SEO changes too much to be a college degree <laughs> um, or, or anything like that because by the time you finish your four, I mean, imagine four years from now what SEO is going to look like. <laughs> you have to develop your, your, you know, your training three years ago to teach seven years in the future and, and who knows what SEO will be then. I, I disagree slightly. Um, like, yeah. has technical SEO changed that much in the last four to five years? Has content changed the way you write content, quality content changed? the way search engines take it in may have changed. But like, I think that there are some things that are very basic and very hallmark and foundational. Sure. You might have to change your curriculum every three to five to 10 years as new technology comes along. Like, okay, if you're learning from an SEO class that's from 10 years ago, okay, things have changed. Like things like JavaScript have become more important. Whereas 10 years ago, it was not, yeah, it was and I think things like answer engines and right so you know your your Alexas and voice boxes and things like that I think that stuff has to be added to it all the time so maybe the basics haven't changed and there could be a class or two on it but I don't think it would be a a full-on degree yeah yeah I don't don't know I think it could be uh just because if they have the base then getting up to date on a few changes here and there I don't really think things change all that much either. Uh, you know, the, the foundational stuff is all the same mm-hmm. for the most part. I, I haven't really changed a lot of my processes in, in many years at this point. I, it's funny. I, I sent to my team once in a while and, and Jake, you've probably seen these like presentations I did 
like eight, mm-hmm. nine, ten years ago. And it is funny that how I, I've kind of a lot of it's the same. And there has I would say more than fifty percent of it is the same. And some of it's the same things in there, like when canonical tags came out, right? It's like I have all these I felt like maybe I was way further in the future back then. <laughs> but at the same time, these are still the same issues, right? Where we have this implementing some bait, like redirects. I've have been talking about redirects for a hundred years now and <laughs> still I get a client that gives me three or two redirects and it's like to the point where Google has to change. Like Google has kind of said like, Hey, after a while we'll respect three or twos as three or ones. And I think that's because of t- companies I've worked with and their development teams, not giving me a three or one and always doing three or two. Um, it, it's kind of interesting. Some of that, that again, I've been talking about it for 10 years now and, going to talk probably about it for the next 10 years. So I've heard that it's just a massive conspiracy just to piss you particularly off. <laughs> yeah, it could be. <laughs> oh, so Jeff, uh, let's move along. What's in the news? Yeah. So one thing I saw that uh, Danny Sullivan posted um, was that the speakable markup is no longer restricted to news content and that it will be you know available to all content on all sites. Um, it says it's not a guarantee that you will be included in Google Assistant, um, but it is also a beta feature. Um, so it's one of those where we can start marking up our pages with speakable content or speakable um, schema, and from there possibly get pulled into the Google Assistant um, libraries with with their data. Um, I'm not 100% sure how it's all going to work. Um, if we're going to be able to say, you know, okay, Google give me information from X website um, because the, right now it's usually the, if you ask it a question, you're getting one answer back. Um, and, and that's kind of the way it works. But I, I, we don't really have a ton of data around voice search. Um, so knowing if it worked or not is, is one thing, but it seems pretty simple to implement. Um, I've, you know, I've put it actually on some websites when I was doing some schema for them just to be able to throw it in there just to, to you know, see if we got anything. Um, they weren't new sites, so we definitely didn't get anything. But now maybe uh, I was a little bit ahead of the time and maybe we can get some some voice searches in there. Uh, again, not necessarily sure how to track all that. <laughs> um, but at the same time, maybe I'll start asking Google Assistant a whole bunch of questions to see if uh, any of my client sites come up. I have two thoughts and Patrick, I'd love to hear your, your thoughts. One, it's kind of a funny one. Um, I can only imagine once SEOs get a hold of speakable on a, on a more wide scale, some of the um, verbiage that's going to be coming back out of, and I don't want to trigger your system, but I'm probably going to do it. Alexa. (laughs) Um, I I can imagine uh, Alexa uh, repeating back something when you ask it a question and it just being keyword, 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 (laughs) basically SEO writing instead of actually regular writing. Um, But the other thing that, um, that I would really be interested to, to see here is I I guess twofold. Um, One, I would be interested in understanding if you're more likely to appear in a featured snippet, if you also have speakable and I, I don't think it's correlation or, or I don't think it's causation. I think it would be correlation. Um, probably more has to do with how well you're answering the question. But if you're also making the question available to be spoken into uh, into an Alexa or a, or a Google Assistant or something like that, I think that would be um, interesting. And then 
I think, honestly, content mediums are changing. Um, and what I mean by that is like content mediums are uh, video is becoming more and more. Well, it's, it's all, it's been important for a long time now, but podcasts are becoming incredibly important. And right now I don't, I don't know that search engines yet. And I think they're getting there and I think they're very close because you're starting to see podcasts more well integrated into, um, into, into results. Um, but I would be interested to understand if there's going to be a way for, to use this sort of markup maybe around transcripts or something that's going to allow a search engine to be able to go in and, for example, grab the conversation that we're having right now at this very moment and take this content and plug it into a featured snippet, for example. Like if we were to answer a question in a podcast, could they take that answer and rank it? And um, I believe this had, this actually has a lot to do with um, what Cindy Crum has been talking about with Fraggles. And um, we actually talked about that on her episode quite extensively. But I, I think that that's an, an interesting thing. And I think with the rise of everybody consuming uh, content in, within, within podcasts as a medium, I see that as kind of like the next frontier. And I think Speakable might be uh, a part of that evolution. But I could be wrong. I think you're probably right, but I think it'll be hard for things like podcasts to to get, for instance, like a featured snippet, uh, simply because even if it's a really good answer, there's probably a written answer that's just as good, and that page probably has a lot more links than the podcast, I would think. Damn links. Uh, so it probably ranks better organically and I think has a higher chance of getting the snippet. Yeah, and, and I sure. believe that I can see now, like if you're actually searching for a podcast, they do have like the carousels and things like that. But from what I've read that they are looking to have the quick kind of clips where that would be the search results where you would click on it and it would give you like fast forward right to the part where that answered your question. Um, I don't know if it stops after the answer <laughs> or if it just keeps playing, but um I find that pretty interesting that it'll, that it'll be able to do that. And finally, after all these years, like of saying like, Hey, we can't read text in an image. They're going to be able to read all the content inside of a podcast and video and yeah. things like that. So, I mean, kudos, they've come a long way with all that stuff. So. And, and I believe they are doing it to some degree with videos uh, already. So like, okay, well, if you can do it for a video, however you're doing that, um, you can probably do it for a podcast, but mm -hmm. maybe not. We'll see. Yeah. The question with the speakable to me will be, will they finally give you data around it? Cause right now there, there's none. Uh, and I think that hurts implementation. Like usually they give, you know, kind of a carrot stick kind of thing, you know, for a lot of the, the schema markup, you get something out of it. You're able to track it. You're able to prove it was valuable yeah. with this. I don't think they have that second part yet. So I don't know that people will really be adopting it. Yeah. And, and that's the hardest part, right? Because like as SEOs implementation is, especially if you're at an agency and you're on the outside looking in is the most difficult thing that we go through and a lot of times when we're saying, hey, you should do this thing, the client um, or the stakeholder turns around and says, okay, we've got a lot of stuff in our pipeline. What data can you provide me with that, that is going to move this up in the queue? Well, basically, why should I implement this thing? What's mm -hmm. the benefit to me? And uh, I agree. I think until we get uh, more data, 
uh, around it or more tests that, that provide us with data that tell us this is a positive thing, the adoption might be slow, even though it is right. a positive thing. Yeah, good- probably take a Google study, one of those think with Google things that says, oh, blah, 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 these businesses <laughs> did this and gained this. Then people will have something to put in their PowerPoint to say, oh, we should we should try that. Yeah. And well, the good news with it is that it's not difficult to implement, right? It's in the um, the web page type. And and really, it's all, all you really need is the, like the, I guess you can use that. I think there's different things you can use, like CSS path or XPath inside of it but you really just take the xpath of where the content is so if you named your div or, or or whatever like content on your site you can point to that and say this is where my content is the whole time and, and just it's the same for every page if your templates are the same um if they're not then i guess it can be a little more difficult but it, it doesn't seem super hard to implement and that's the where i've implemented it where um, sites that maybe use WordPress or something where it's like there's a plugin that can just easily throw it in there um, to, to see if it did anything. And again, I, I never saw any traffic boost from it, but we're, it's not something where you probably will because we don't get voice data. We don't get the data around that. But eventually, I'm guessing it would be in Search Console, whether it's the data of how many voice searches you got or if it's the data just saying your speakable is implemented properly or not where we kind of see that now with products and, and stuff like that. So do you guys think in terms of, so I've implemented it on a small number of clients as well. And what I didn't know when I was implementing it and what I, I, I stayed conservative to just using the speakable markup on smaller snippets within the piece of content. Like, but I can see SEOs going crazy and just marking up entire web pages. So like, yeah, how do you think people are going to use this? Are people just going to like take small snippets? Like if you have like a, a what is page, are you just going to use that markup for the portion that is most directly answering the question? Or are you going to mark up the entire article with speakable, which sounds insane? Yeah. I'm going to wrap my entire page in an H1. There you go. <laughs> no. It's it's probably going to be every way you could imagine it done. It'll be done by someone. And then yeah. Google has to figure it out. The web is messy. That's <laughs> yeah, going to get real messy too, man. People start it's, doing that. It's funny. I, when I first, before I was even in SEO and I was doing development, I had a client's website that we were just, we were redesigning or reskinning or something. And their text was wrapped all in H1s. Like they didn't use paragraph tags. They used H1 tags for everything. And I'm like, what is this all about? Like I was more about semantic HTML at that point where every tag had a meaning and I was kind of going through and changing all this. And they're like, no, that's for our SEO. And I'm like I, I knew a little bit about SEO then I, like I, I did read about it and I knew semantic markup what I was working on was, you know, good for it. I was like, this is not right. Like you having me style your H ones look like text, you know, and things like that. And um, that was my first like, into SEO going like, these guys are just a bunch of spammers. <laughs> uh, so it's kind of funny that you say that because it just brought back a memory of the first time I really was exposed to an SEO. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like a fun one. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> cool. Um, so let's see what else we have out there. I mean, it is the kind of year of, or at the time of year where everyone's going to be posting all their like, SEO in 2020s and I've already seen a bunch of them out there. I think every major publication has one right now. Uh, if not, it will be up soon. Um, every radio station is going to have like, you know, best songs of 20 or 2019. Um, 
as I was watching the you know, Tech SEO Boost conference, um, it is hard to miss that 80% of the presentations were about like machine learning and Python. Um, so I'm just going to take that off the top right there is that that's probably going to be something big in 2020. Um, but in general, like what are some of the things that you feel uh, like that as a technical SEO, um, we should be thinking about or looking about in, you know, coming up in the next year or, or you know, next 10 years, just the kind of future of technical SEO. Uh, in general, more automation, whether that would be through Python or not, uh, I think is a little bit questionable. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the most exciting things that launched this year, in my opinion, was uh, Optimizely, an A-B test platform. They have a beta out for what they call Performance Edge. And if you've talked with uh, Dan Taylor, I'm sure you've heard about Edge SEO, mm-hmm. Service Workers at the Edge, Serverless Functions. There's a billion names for these things. Uh, the different communities call them. I think Edge SEO is what's sticking here. Yeah. Uh, but it is literally like, uh, you know, JavaScript run at the edge. And in the case of Optimizely, instead of being client-side, where before it would have to download the code, process the code, uh, make the changes to the DOM live. Now it's being done literally at like a CDN level, uh, I think through Cloudflare. Uh, mm-hmm. And then the changes that it would have made are in line with the response. Uh, basically, you can write rules. If you identify issues from a site audit, uh, say I've got these thousand pages that are marked no index, I write a rule that says for these thousand pages, change no index to index. Done. Your pages are now indexed, and it was delivered with the response, not having to process JavaScript or anything. That's awesome. Uh, so a lot of the on-page technical, I think, will be automated next year. Uh, I think that is a brilliant way of doing it. Like, there's been ways of doing that anyway with with some of the tools, like Distilled ODN, mm-hmm. uh, RankSense, RankScience. Yeah, there's a few of them, but they were all kind of middleware system. So between like the CDN and the server and Mm -hmm. uh, added latency and people didn't trust middleware systems, et cetera. I I think, you know, Optimizely is a well-known platform that a lot of companies use more than likely some of the others uh, like Google Optimize and stuff will do the same kind of functionality. Mm -hmm. And then I think instead of like these SEO middleware systems, we'll actually just be using typical AB testing platforms for these changes but being able to fix things at a massive scale that we really haven't been able to do before. That's awesome. You know, I, when last year during tech SEO boost, when Dan did his presentation, I brought some of that to the development team I was working with and they kind of all just like foo fooed it and said that this is not the way to be doing this stuff. On the other end of that, I'm like, well, we have these problems. How do we fix this stuff? So it actually brought great conversation into it. Um, just to, something like that. Like if we had like mass indexation or, or when I'm dealing with pagination of an Indeca, like, you know, in an e-commerce site, like everything that's in between the homepage and the product page is usually a billion Indeca kind of facets and things like that. And I've always come up with conversations like, Hey, let's kind of, let's take these certain facets and these ones will block. These ones will allow if we have more than two or three, then maybe we block anything past that. And, um, they always have trouble doing it within the code. And that's when I brought up the kind of the edge SEO side of things. And that, that's where they were, they kind of foo-fooed it. And then I was saying, how do we fix this? Right. This is, this is one solution. 
tell me that this, tell me why it doesn't work and, and things like that. And we never really got anywhere on it, especially since I didn't use Cloudflare, Cloudflare <laughs> uh, at the time. So, um, but I, I figure more kind of edge type of tools will be using that. I know a lot of uh, companies, uh, one of my neighbors, a, a big developer for a major hotel brand, and they just launched their whole website out on the edge and, and really yep. is doing things like that. So I, I think it, it's all JavaScript, of course, but it's like they put the framework out there and, and now it's um, super fast, which is great for them. And, and I was excited when I saw it, which, again, I brought some of that to some clients too, saying, here's another thing that people are doing out on the edge. Like, we, you know, a lot of a lot of people are old school thinking. I might fall into that sometimes. Um, uh, but, at the, but going through, like, no one wants to be the first um, or maybe none of my clients want to be the first, <laughs> but at the same time, more I can prove it that works and, and things like that. And I definitely think edge SEO is one of those. I think it's going to be great to have a tool where we can take control a little bit more. Developers may not like that, but some of it, it's not a development thing. It's more of a, it is more, we can say marketing, right? We want certain pages to show certain pages not to show. We want certain things on those pages. And if I don't have, if I can go, you're telling me a hundred hours of development time and I can do it in five. Like, I think it's win-win all around. So, so yeah, I, and I was going to say, I see it as um, Edge SEO specifically is a really interesting concept. And given that our biggest problem is implementation, it seems like a way to circumvent traditional implementation. But like, in my opinion, the problem still remains. Like mm -hmm. if you could fix it at the core, the, 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 the website that's then being proliferated out to all of these Edge servers, you wouldn't have whatever problem you're trying to fix on the edge servers. So I do still feel like getting to the heart of fixing the ability to get things, you know, implemented by working with your developers is still something that's super important. But like, if you can't, if you can't find a way to get certain things done, it seems like edge SEO is a good way to circumvent that process a little bit. Well, temporarily. So you're right. absolutely right. You should still get it fixed. Uh, but mm -hmm. I like doing, I like, the thought of doing this in an A-B testing platform because you can sell anything as a test. Hey, I have this theory that if I mark these thousand no-index pages index, I'm probably going to get more traffic. Uh, sounds like a pretty good idea, so run it. Uh, then when it's proven out, you go back to the developers and say, look, this works. Can you fix all these issues? Like You, yeah. you should absolutely fix it on your own platform because if you go away from, say, Cloudflare uh, or you might have to rewrite a lot of rules or lose a lot of work that's been done. It's the same problem actually that uh, a lot of the ones like distilled ODN have where you're locked in or you lose the stuff. I don't think there's a real way to get off those platforms easily. Yeah. Uh, but other CDNs are, you know, have these functions. Now Akamai has uh, cloud edge workers. I think they call it. Mm -hmm. I think Fastly has something. So I think it's it's possible. It's just a, the way that it's sold. You you should still work with the developers. You should still get it fixed. But in the meantime, you kind of fixed it. Yeah. And proved out that it should have been that way, um, which I think is brilliant. Yeah, it's a, just another department that SEOs are going to piss off because it's <laughs> we already think no. It's just it's a joke because we go through and it's like oh UX people were like we should do this to our we need to add content we need to do this in development and developers get mad. Now it's like the, the, you know, conversion uh, teams are going to be like, we're like, Oh, we know optimizely now too. So it's just one of those things SEOs put in their back pocket, which I think is funny. Yeah. Uh, let's see. Let's switch 
what else? Um, I'm think probably a lot of people will jump on the Python bandwagon. Uh, do a lot with machine learning that way. Where I think SEOs need to be instead is doing things that scale a little better than Python at times. Uh, you can do a lot of different things with machine learning, for instance, in Elasticsearch or Solar or, or one of those you know, pseudo database kind of things that is almost infinitely scalable. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think, uh, I, I think at, was it tech SEO boost? I think it was last year, Paul Shapiro released like a redirect automation script. I read one of those Python in 2016 using uh Doctivec at the time. I think mm-hmm. I used Spacey. Uh, but I think that could be better done with a simple function actually in Elastic called more like this. It literally is show me more content like this. And I think it's even, it's either based on like a TF idea for like a Lucene based matching. Um, And so if you have old content, if you want to pull the content from archive.org or you have a store of it and you just store it internally, um, you can just run that against current pages. And a lot of sites are already using like Elastic for uh, internal site search as it is. So I think there are better and faster ways of doing a lot of the things that SEOs are currently trying to do with machine learning. Yeah. It it was a lot of Python and machine learning this year, which, which is good. I mean, again, we were the technical side of, of things. So, um, and JR came up with his little search engine and uh, internet that he, that he built, which was awesome. Um, and, and I love, that's part of, I think, you know, when we're talking about SEOs and especially when you get to the technical side, we love to be able to kind of just dig deep and, and learn new things in there. Um, though it was kind of, after the day and a half of it, I'm like, wow, that was a lot about Python, which, you know, tons of things I need to learn and, and go through, but that was an interesting thing. I, I also think in the technical side of things um, for you know, coming up in here, like mobile, uh, it, it's not that it's like we're at mobile first already, but I still feel that you know, most of my clients are getting 70% plus of their traffic from mobile. And I just don't think mobile experiences are still, I think it's still a, a much needed look into some things because there's in general, the UX and mobile sites, I don't find them very engaging (laughs) or or a lot of times, especially um, I love to come back to my desktop and since I have a big 27 inch screen to be able to read things on it. Um, But I think, you know, I'm not sure where SEO goes where with mobile um, where it is like anything different per se, but I think it's, you know, just more and more focused on getting that SEO um, and and your mobile sites, right? Because there's going to be less and less real estate on your mobile phone to show up on. I I would anticipate like the, I feel like the reason mobile experiences in all cases are not great as it stands today is because I think mobile has evolved a lot uh, more quickly uh, than people are ready. And by people, I mean the people that make sites are ready to admit and consumer adoption and the changes in how consumers are using mobile devices and the changes in technology have evolved more rapidly than I think we on the other side are, are able to develop. And I think right now, like we're in a situation where, and this is even outside of SEO, where probably 
companies that are having to think about mobile are being split into many different ways. You can have, uh, you can you can do responsive. You can have a mobile separate website. Oh shit! Here comes accelerated mobile pages. Oh shit! Everybody's using apps now, and it's like, well, which one do I use? Which one do I put my development time towards? Mm-hmm. Like, really? Oh, okay. Well, if I put all my development time towards accelerated mobile pages, is that still going to be a thing in a year? Oh no! Everybody's now using apps instead of mobile websites. I'm when I go to DoorDash, I'm not going to the freaking mobile website for DoorDash. I'm just doing it with my within my app but it's on my phone. Um, you can do that now on Google now. Well, yeah, right. And (laughs) I mean, in, I'm just, I'm just saying, I think, I think people are spread thin and trying to figure out like, where do we put our time and where do we put our resources? And then by the time they do put time and resources behind something, and there are companies that do it really well. Um, if, if fricking changes and I think it's evolving so rapidly that it's difficult to keep up, which is probably why you're experiencing, uh, these people lagging behind. And then we all know, like there are some companies that even, even as much as we would like to pull them into the 21st century are still old school and are still working to even get up to what was standard, uh, in terms of a mobile experience like 10 years ago, right? Mm -hmm. They're still like 10 years behind and we're trying to pull them, pull them forward. So our consumers, so there's still a bit of that, but man, it's, there's a lot going on with mobile right now. Yep. Yeah. I don't think SEOs really get to dictate that. We just have to clean up the fractured infrastructure that everyone makes. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Like when companies migrate from their mobile site to responsive yeah, that's, and then they add AMP and then they add a PWA. It's basically yeah. making sure that like, I feel like it's making sure that the wires don't get all crossed and that you got the right wires plugging into the right places when, when you go through stuff like that. Yeah. That's really all it is. I've always wanted to test, you know, using AMP and PWA on an e-commerce site, but I think getting a you know, Fortune 500 e-commerce site to just jump on it. I, I know there are things like AliExpress, I think, does it, and there's there's a couple of them out there that do it, but for the most part, I, I've talked to some of my clients that are using things like uh, what's for commerce or Hybris, and they're just like, yeah, we're, we're not going to be able to, <laughs> to even think about this right now. Um, and, and, you know, it, it kind of stinks, but because I, I really would love to have that test study to be able to do that. Uh, Google's put plenty of them out there that showed like, yeah. this is how great it is, but none of them are, show me someone who is, you know, large, that's not like a, a top retail. Exactly. Or not even a little, um, you know, a small camping gear website that did it and saw a hundred percent increase. You're like, see, look, this is, but they only make, you know, $50,000 a year <laughs> compared to someone who gets a hundred million visitors a year. You know, I've, I've yet to meet a developer who didn't absolutely hate AMP and was, wasn't absolutely yeah. just AMP specifically and who wasn't incredibly um, skeptical of it. I've not met one. I've talked to a lot of them about it. <laughs> they all hate it. Yeah. Uh, even though like speed increase, blah, 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 more visits, uh, generally you're firing the tracking faster. So you're going to see an increase. If you made your own site faster, you'd probably see the same increase. <laughs> uh, what people don't realize with AMP uh, with bigger companies is it's probably more of a legal issue than anything else. AMP adds these JavaScript things that we don't know what does that aren't, don't belong to us. Mm. That's a no go from developers, from legal, 
hosting on Google servers. We'll probably need an agreement, but as far as I know, Google won't sign one and say like, hey, we're responsible for anything. Yeah. Good luck doing that in Europe, by the way. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, there's a lot of blockers that larger companies have, I would say, that smaller companies can just be like, well, I don't really care about that. But at a larger company, there's a lot more developers and legal and blah, blah, blah that have to sign off and say, are we going to allow this or, or not? And probably a lot of the rules already say no. Yeah, no, I think performance is another one to talk about overall in general and in, in um, its role in SEO. And I mean, SEOs love it because Google made it a ranking factor. Um, but being, being able to prove once we get to a certain speed, the ROI on that work, I think it's, it's, it's tough, um, especially you know, there's tons of things that go into performance and, and speed testing. And it, like, it's really trying to get buy-in on that side of the, the world to, to say like, hey, we at least need to be five seconds or, or faster. <laughs> um, you know, not even trying to be like where Google says two seconds. <laughs> um, just like, because there are, there are some sites out there that are ridiculously slow. Um, you know, you're, you're dealing with every department inside of a web company where you know, designers need to make their images more compact. The you know, developers need to make their code more compact. And I think it's, it is a tough call to get everybody on the same page because most um, larger companies are siloed internally. So like your designers aren't really talking to developers, aren't talking to, you know, um, and there's really no performance teams out there, but um, there's, there are a lot of great tools these days out there that can actually monitor that and track it and show you exact. I mean, Google's leading the way with a lot of them for free. Um, but there's a lot of paid ones out there too. So I'm hoping that performance in general, just because it's a little selfish reasons, like I hate having the slow websites. <laughs> so I, I'm all for Google trying to push to make the, the web a faster place. Cause as we get onto our mobile devices, page speed is super important. Um, I use sprint, which is the worst phone service you can ever use. So I need my websites to load fast so I can get it before I don't have any signal. <laughs> um, I will be dropping Sprint after my contract. But <laughs> <laughs> That's actually uh, mo- on SiteSpeed or PageSpeed is my first major article that will be published by me on, on Ahrefs, uh, which, you know, we've had a discussion internally. Like, is this, it's, it's not the same as most blogs at Ahrefs, which target general users. Like this is, in my opinion, targeting mostly developers, I would say. Uh, but it's also towards SEO so that they can help developers understand what they need and why mm-hmm. and what impacts what. Because what I typically have seen from SEOs is like, here's a PageSpeed Insights report, go do that. Yeah. Um, how well do you think that goes over with developers? They may not know what they need to do. No one's guiding them through it. There's no understanding on either side in a lot of cases. Uh, so yeah. I'm trying to hopefully bring bring the community a little forward on, on that understanding. That was that was actually a big part of my life at IBM and 70 plus different systems uh, trying to get the website loaded faster. Yeah, and uh, one story that uh, in speed has been a giant problem for me for um, for many years, and I won't. I'm not going to go into the whole spiel of working with a, a, a massive uh, hospitality corporation and getting laughed out of the room when I told them if they improved their site speed by like two seconds, it would make them millions of dollars additionally every, every year. And by the way, it was true. Um, but speed has been just a giant 
stick in my crawl for many, many years. And it's been the hardest thing to get developers to take seriously um, in terms of uh, actually working actively to improve speed. And it is one of the hardest things because there are so many things that impact it, ranging all the way from how developers decide to utilize JavaScript on their website and in what volume, which is usually a lot, like 20 or 40 or 30 external JavaScript files uh, per page or, you know, all the way down to the, the lowly designer who doesn't know that it's not okay uh, to put a five meg image on a website. They just don't know. And it's, I think, an education problem up and down, up and down the line. But who I'm really jealous of is um, Mr. Sal Sura, who I interviewed uh, very early on in the history of this podcast who um, I heard him do a talk here in Columbus, Ohio, at a conference. And um, one of the things that he has in place at Angie's List, and I'm just amazed at this, is that he has, um, he has such a tight rein on speed that every page that gets put out uh, there has to hit a certain threshold. Uh, from a speed standpoint, or they simply kick it back and say, no, you got to do better. And I think it's like, I think it's like three seconds or something ridiculous. Um, so like to be able to institutionalize speed at a, at a corporation uh, of that size in terms of the web development process, I was like, I was wanting to give him in the conference, like a standing ovation because I couldn't believe it. I've never seen it. And um, I'm super jealous of him. I'm going to tell him that. That's awesome. <laughs> I think I have told him that before. <laughs> I think you can get some of that buy-in being internal, right? Too, like he sure. works for Angelist, and so he he can fight that battle every day and not have like a finite amount of hours, like when you're on the agency side. Um, but at PageSpeed, Ahrefs, I think there's a good uh, tool you can guys can build there. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> it's probably yeah, in the works. We have something in uh, inside audit, but it's mostly like time to first byte, uh, page size. Yeah. Uh, I think we have a load speed, but it's literally how long it takes to download the HTML. So we're we're not. Uh, we, yeah, well, we can, but we're not doing like Lighthouse or anything. Uh, I uh, honestly, if we're going to do something like that, I'd rather just pull have people enter their API key and pull in from PageSpeed Insights. Yeah. Um, which is backed by Lighthouse for those that don't know. Uh, and then just aggregate that data, I think would be the easiest way. Uh, it's not a bad idea, but that, you know, that data is elsewhere already. Um, yeah. Probably would be a lot lower priority. Yeah, it seems like a bunch of the tools now are kind of, I know like a, um, Screaming Frog does that where you just, you put in your API. Um, and I mean, you can pull stuff from Ahrefs and Moz and, and stuff like that in there. So uh, that's kind of how I do a lot of my first round of, you know, audits and looking at page speeds, put that into screaming frog with the API key. And then as it runs, it pulls all that data in, which is great. So I uh, want to be respectful of everybody's time. We could probably sit here for hours and hours and hours <laughs> and talk to Patrick about different technical uh, SEO topics. But um, to end the episode, uh, what we we sometimes forget to ask it, but we didn't forget this time, and we didn't forget all week. Uh, we yeah. recorded three episodes this week. So, um, Patrick, we wanted to ask you, and I think it's important um, uh, for a bit of advice. So, imagine that you're somebody, or that you're 
hiring somebody that is just getting into the SEO industry and they're fresh uh, and it's their first day in the industry, um, what advice would you give them? Uh, don't chase the newest trends, you know, which probably right now is BERT. Everyone's learning more about BERT and wanting to implement BERT, but really so much of SEO is just getting the basics right. Don't no index your pages, get your content correct, which no one ever says what that is, but it's basically right about what people search and kind of what the top pages are talking about because they probably have expertise in it. So even if you don't, you can kind of copy that, get links that you might need. That's so dependent on what type of industry could be external, could be internal links. Uh, but it really, you know, so much is just doing the basics and doing the work, uh, chasing stuff. I don't think it's people very far trying the latest, newest thing. I don't think always works out very well. Um, just really get your processes in order for what you need to be successful. And that's mostly going to be content and links. So you're telling me that my, uh, my BERT optimization business is not going to work out well. I mean, it probably will. People buy anything. <laughs> you're right. I bet I could sell that. Yeah. All right. It, I'm not, I'm it'll probably fan. turn into a bunch of myths and stuff. Like I've seen a bunch of stuff on like rank brain where they're like, Oh, user signals and click through rate. And, it was literally none of that. And I don't know where all that came from, but now it's become like standard to believe that kind of stuff. And yeah. so people will blame the wrong things. They're like, my page isn't performing. Well, your content doesn't have what it needs to say, but they're yeah. like, Oh, it must be my user signals. My, my click through rate is rank brain impacting my site when really it's your, your content wasn't as good as someone else's. It didn't cover as much stuff. It didn't, uh, you know, cover the right things or talk with expertise or have industry insights. And, and behind the scenes, all of those people that, uh, that say those types of things are really like, I have no fucking idea what I'm doing. So. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm the tech guy. And I think I spend 90% of my time telling people get your content right. Right. Yeah. right. Anyways. So Patrick, where can, um, where can people find you? Uh, Twitter at Patrick stocks. And, and not in a creepy way. Like, online <laughs> <Twitter>. <laughs> i mean you can visit me in raleigh north carolina you are down in atlanta come on up yeah i'm gonna get to talk about raleigh seo it's just crazy down there I don't, it's like you guys breed seos yeah, awesome. yeah man. It, it's got to be like at least e either a quarter or a third of the the guests on this podcast so far from raleigh and i'm i just keep going like what is in the water there that it just breeds good seos or or makes them move there so you guys got a good thing going yeah. we're just really lucky if i can plug actually real quick raleigh seo meetup we're in year i think 12 now there you go uh, that was started by ashley berman hale who i know y'all have had oh, a we just interviewed yes <laughs> anyway. uh, and then ran by phil buckley for a few years and now it's a uh, guy named frank jones and myself we so that's literally every month we have a meetup. Uh, we started a second meetup this year because actually J.R. Oaks wanted to. So that one's called Beer and SEO. Yes. Uh, we have the Raleigh SEO conference once a year. We're starting a second conference. I don't know if J.R. mentioned that. I won't announce it because I'll, I'll leave that all to him. I know it's a big nerd one. Yeah, it'll be more uh, more towards, I guess, another sort of technical conference, but leaning towards information retrieval Machine learning, um, behavioral sciences, I would say, uh, and development. Yeah, that's awesome. J 
just kind of reaching a little bit beyond the the typical uh, the typical stuff. Awesome. And, and there's one last thing I want to plug for Patrick is uh, the Reddit group Tech oh, yeah. SEO. We even talked about that. How did we? We we we, ne- we never talk about it, but I figured since uh, Patrick is my co-moderator on there, that we'd uh, run one plug of that one too. Reddit, Reddit uh, uh, what is it? Sub channels, uh, subreddits, subreddits uh, that exist on SEO, and we didn't even touch on it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's pretty it's, nice. It's, it's a secret. Jeff has been lining up some amazing uh, AMAs up there. Yeah, yeah, he has. That's for sure. Uh, actually, I've learned a lot from from those, especially when we've had uh, some of the Google reps. Like it, yeah. it's brought my personal knowledge forward, so I I really appreciate that. No, it's been great, and. You know, hope to keep keep it going in 2020. So, yeah, keep those plates spinning, Jeff. And if anyone's listening and is a tech SEO, there's also a technical SEO Slack group. Um, this, uh, no, it's fine. We <laughs> we <laughs> where we share all the secrets. <laughs> it, yeah, we've never really like shared this out very much publicly, but uh, I think I think it's a good place yeah. to be oh, if you're awesome. interested in tech seo there's a lot of really interesting conversations cool well patrick uh thank you for um uh, for coming on thank you for for staying on for this long this is one of our longer recordings so uh we really appreciate your your time it's been fun i appreciate you having me Thank you so much for listening to the Page 2 Podcast. If you'd like to find out more about the show or listen to more episodes, visit us at page2podcast.fm. That's page, the number two, podcast.fm. Our episodes are also available on a number of other platforms, including Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Breaker, Deezer, Overcast, Pocket Cast, Stitcher, TuneIn, and more. Additionally, you can also listen to our show on our new YouTube channel, If you'd like to become a sponsor or would like to be interviewed, get in touch with us at thepage2podcast at gmail.com. Until next time, happy optimizing.